From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Welcome back to a later than usual recording of the pregame podcast, this time breaking down Florida State versus Wake Forest. Was planning to get this out a little earlier, but uh, other other uh, significant family responsibilities and matters uh, have demanded some additional time through the middle part of this week. So here we are going to be releasing this about midday on Friday, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, this too, this too will, it'll work. And, um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I do think that this, this, uh, Florida state team matches up well with this wake forest team, especially with a backup quarterback. So no use wasting a whole lot of time here on the front end. Let's go ahead and get to it. We'll go ahead and start with the Wake Forest, uh, talking about the Wake Forest offense against the Florida State defense. And this really is where I think the biggest advantage for in this game lies. This is not the sort of vintage Wake Forest with Sam Hartman at quarterback and A.T. Perry and, and that whole group of wide receivers on the field that, you know, was a, a, a scary team to play and a team that had as much success against Florida State as anybody. This is this is a Wake Forest team that has been negatively impacted by the transfer portal and negatively impacted by injuries. Now, they started the year with uh Mitch Griffiths at quarterback and you know he's a he's a decent quarterback option. He's not Sam Hartman though. Under 60% completion percentage, 9 touchdowns, 6 INTs. Pretty decent, but not great. And at the same time, this offensive line is not what they've been been either. And Griffiths got the he he got beat up pretty good in in those first six games, and it doesn't look like he's going to play in this matchup against Florida State. And frankly, if I'm Wake Forest and I'm I'm aiming at trying to make a bowl, and at four and three, that's really what they're what they're looking at. I really don't see the benefit of playing the quarterback that gives you the best chance against everybody else against Florida state in a game that he's likely to get beat up again. And you're probably not going to win. And yes, coaches do make that calculation. Sometimes it's, you know what? We're going to give him the best shot we can with the guys that, that we've got, but let's, let's let that guy sit another week and give us, give ourselves the best opportunity we can moving forward. So I, I think, I think that's what we're likely to see from, from wake forest here. And the thing is, that means that not only are we, likely to see a backup quarterback, but we're likely to see the third string quarterback, Santino Marucci, who was uh he's a sophomore who played last week in the win against Pitt. And, you know, he he handled himself fine in that game. Twelve of twenty one, hundred and fifty one yards, that's seven point two per attempt. One touchdown, two picks, you know, not not bad, but nothing to write home about in a guy that they had to be really limited with. And you know that that's kind of what you, you you expect to see in this game. And and that was against a pit team that's not been great. 
uh, and they only scored 21 points in that game. Still don't know how they won that game. If you look at the numbers there, uh, they, they should have lost that game, but, but didn't. So uh, good for them, right? So you uh, only giving up 17 points goes a long way there. But basically the, the situation is you're playing against a team that is going to have to run the football with a lot of success to be able to win this game. They don't have the, the, the dudes outside that they've had in recent years that you can't single cover. I mean, last year, so stepping back to last year, why did Florida State lose that game against Wake Forest last year? And that was the most comfortable win a Florida State opponent had last year. Every other, every other game that FSU played last year, they were more of a threat to win in the second half than that game. What was it? Well, it was a combination of things. One is that was the least healthy Florida State was at the defensive tackle position in any game last season. That was a game where essentially you had Malcolm Ray and Farmer and a couple others that were that were the primary guys. And Farmer was not the player last year that he is this year. He really took a huge leap forward. You had no love it. You had, I don't believe, if I remember right, Cooper didn't play last year either. And that was when uh, Verse was still uh, pretty limited, or I think, I can't remember if he played in that game or, or not. But Florida State was uh, was a shell of themselves on the defensive interior. And then you combine that with A.T. Perry and uh, Green and a series of other wide receivers that they had that just kept winning one-on-ones. And Perry, in particular, won a series of one-on-ones where there was great coverage on the play, and he just mossed a guy. You know, a couple, one huge touchdown in which that was the case. Another, I think it was a fourth down conversion. That was the difference in the in that game. They won those one on ones. They got those key those key one on one wins from NFL wide receivers on throws from a top level quarterback. And then beyond that, they were able to with that slow mesh. What they try to do is they're trying to prevent penetration, prevent penetration, and get double teams on those two defensive tackles. Just sort of keep with it, keep with it, keep with hand it off, and then you get you know four or five. Yards, And they were able to do both of those things. They won one-on-ones on the outside, and they had some success with that inside run game tied to that slow mesh enough to be able to win that game. And FSU, of course, didn't have a, have a great offensive showing in that game either. It's going to be hard for them to do any one of those things on the offensive side this year. They're not as good on the interior of the offensive line this year as they were last year. They've gotten a little banged up there. They don't have Sam Hartman. They don't have A.T. Perry. They don't have Green. They, you know, the the if you look at their la, at their top receivers last year, A.T. Perry had 81 catches. The next highest on the team was Taylor Marin at 47, and A.T. Perry had almost 1,100 yards. He had uh, 1,096 yards receiving 11 touchdowns. Next highest there was Donovan Green at 642. Well, Green got hurt. At the uh, in camp this year, so they're out their top two, and really their their two biggest threats in terms of physically. I mean, At Perry six five, Donovan Green six two two ten. These are guys that are big time outside wide receivers, and then you finally get down to the the number three guy Jamal Banks at six four two zero eight. You put all those all three of those guys on the field. And it becomes a real a real mismatch. You're going to find a mismatch somewhere. This year, the only guy of those top three that's left is Jamal Banks, and then you've got uh, Taylor Moran, the uh, the the more slot receiver, five ten guy, 
who who's left as well, but they just don't have the the full collection of receivers downfield that they'd had in the past in terms of being able to to just have guys that are just going to go up and moss you a bunch. The mismatches. They don't have a bunch of those guys. Banks is a good receiver. He's a nice player, but they don't have an A.T. Perry on this roster. And Donovan Green was really in position to be their top guy this year, and he's not out there either. So that allows you to focus more on what they're doing on the defensive interior in the first place. So when they slow mesh, you say, you know what? Fine, we'll single cover you because we don't think you can beat us as much on the outside. So you commit more to taking away that run game. And the other thing is, even if you do feel it, one of those guys can hurt you. You can, you can double that guy and still feel pretty good elsewhere. So you combat, you combine that with them not being quite as good inside as they were. And you have Fabian Lovett back and Fabian Lovett's not even been your, your clear number one defensive tackle this year, right? Farmer has taken a huge step forward. You still have uh, Fisk. You still have a few other of those guys. You're rotating guys in and in and out at that defensive tackle spot, which is much healthier than it was last year. You're better on the edges than you were last year. In terms of both sides of the football here, when, when those two teams are on the field, Florida State's a good bit better than they were when they played Wake Forest last year. And Wake Forest is substantially not as good as they were last year in these areas of the game. Now, does that mean that Wake Forest is is not a threat to, to do anything to you? No, no, that's not the case. Because they still, with Banks, they still have a receiver who can hurt you some. And they've had a lot of success running the football this year, despite some of the issues in the uh on the offensive line and some of the some of the lack of complementary talent across the board and what they're going to try to do you look at the at the numbers for this year it's pretty obvious how they're how they're going about things on the season so i'm just going to take out old dominion and elon because they're you know lower level teams but against power 5 competition here's here's the number of run plays that they've had in each game on the season Vanderbilt, 48. Georgia Tech, 52. At Clemson, 39. At Virginia Tech, 31. Pitt, 41. So there's only been two games out of their Power Five, out of the five Power Five teams that they've played this season. There's only been two games in which they've run fewer than 40 carries. And one of those was 39 against Clemson. They run the football a lot. And, the, and when they're not running the football, it's usually because it's an RPO built off of the run game where they're pulling it because the read dictates it. They are going to line up and try to run the football, period. And you have to find ways to stop that run. And they're going to try to run. They're going to try to double your, your defensive tackles. They're going to try to to eliminate some of that, some of that uh, penetration and just get positive yards. This offense, this Wake Forest offense, because of its overall lack of explosiveness, is essentially predicated. It's built on success rate. So if you're Florida State, what you're going to try to do in this game is try to minimize that overall success rate. You're going to be more aggressive defensively up front, especially as the game goes on, to try to take that away, get them off the field, get the ball back to your your offense. But Wake Forest is going to try to slow this game down. 
They would love for this game to be along the lines of what you saw in the close loss to Clemson. Clemson beat them 17 to 12. That is a low scoring game, especially in this era. Pittsburgh, they won 21 to 17. These are, you know, 1990s scores. This is, you know, pre hurry up, no huddle era scores. This is what they're going to do. And this is for a team that this is from a team that, that, you know, last year, Wake Forest ran about as fast, ran about as many plays as any team in the country. But this is a game where they're going to try, they'll they'll still turn up the pace some, but they're going to try to run the football and ultimately shorten this game to give themselves a chance to win. So, yeah, it's a little bit different Wake Forest team than what we've seen in that respect. I mean, they've not scored more than 30 this season. or what, no, no, they scored 36 against Vanderbilt. 36 is the, high, is the high they've scored against Power 5. Other than that, the next most points they've scored against Power 5 competition is 21 against Pitt. So they scored 36 in a win against Vandy with, with Griffiths on the field. And, you know, that was their, their second game. They're as healthy as they've been. Since then, they have scored 16, 12, 13, and 21. There's not a team that's coming in here with a whole lot of offensive success in recent weeks. And yet they found ways to win a couple of those games. Found, found a way to beat Pitt 21-17. You don't see many teams winning while only scoring 21 these days. But again, what they're going to try to do, they're going to they're be very success rate heavy. Try to, to get you know, three, four yards, stay ahead of the chains as much as they can, maintain good offensive leverage, keep the offense on the field, go for it when they need to, when they're in decent enough field position, go for it on fourth down, play four down football, keep the ball away from Florida State and try to try to win a lower scoring game. That's what they're going to do. And again, the difference is last year, they'd run a lot of the same stuff. They'd do the same success rate based offensive stuff. But they also had the big play threat because of Hartman's ability to throw the deep ball and the wide receivers that they had running around out there with A.T. Perry and, and Donovan Green and, and, and some of the guys that they had out there. That, that was something that they felt pretty comfortable being able to do. They could success rate you, success rate you, you know, success rate you to death, and then all of a sudden explosive on top of that. They just don't have the explosive component this year. And, you know, you look at the overall big plays on the season, despite playing two non-Power 5 teams, Wake Forest is last in the conference, last in the ACC in 30-plus yard plays. They are, let's see, looking at this, they are second to last in the conference in 20-plus yard plays. Also, second to last in the conference well, ninth in the conference, there are three teams w- with one fewer on 40-plus yard plays. This is a team that does not put a whole lot of big plays on the board. Think about it this way. Florida State has more 40-plus yard plays on the season than Wake Forest has 30-plus yard plays. That's that's a pretty big difference. And yeah, th- this, is, this is a team that, that I think if you're Florida State... You don't worry as much about giving up big plays in this one. You try to smother and suffocate them on the down-to-down basis. And if they do get a big play or two, you tip your cap and you just keep trying to feed the ball back to your offense. Complimentary football. Find ways to be aggressive. Get the get the football back. 
and try to make this, you know, if they want to score a few extra points, that's fine. You, 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 this team does not want to be in a track meet with you. I think that's the approach in this game. So all told, I, I think this is a matchup that Florida State's defense really is in much better shape than they have been coming into a Wake Forest game than they have been in a long, long time. This is a matchup that's, that's favorable for this Florida State team. And I think ultimately, uh, looking at the total total numbers, they averaged 3.73 yards per play against Clemson, 3.74 yards per play against Virginia Tech, 5.21 yards per play with the third stringer out there at quarterback against Pittsburgh. You know, I think this is a this is a team that Florida State should be able to hold in the high threes or low fours yards per play. And, you know, if you give up more than, say, 13, 14 points to this team pre-garbage time, even maybe even post-garbage time, you, you feel like maybe you've underachieved a little bit. Something probably happened that wasn't great. You gave up a couple plays or maybe there was a turnover or two, something like that. But defensively, you expect to hold this team under a couple, under say 14, 13 point area. And, and I think that's, that's really where the bar should be set somewhere, you know, a really good defensive performance for Florida state against this group. The yards per play at the end of the game is going to start with a three and total, total points is going to be in the, you know, potentially single digits or low double digits. That's, that's sort of where this game shakes out on that side of the ball. Now, flipping over to the other side of the ball, where Florida State's offense against Wake Forest defense, Wake's defense is good is a good unit. Look, this is a this team's four and three, despite having basically scored no points in recent weeks. Now, yes, two of their four wins are against Elon and Old Dominion, but they they did beat Vanderbilt and they did beat Pitt last week. So they've found ways to win largely because the defense has been able to hold offenses below their season average with some consistency. We all know that Clemson is somewhat offensively challenged this season, but Wake Forest only gave up 17 to Clemson. So that's a that's a solid defensive outing, even against a, a Clemson team that has struggled to score against good defenses. That just marks out this this. Wake Forest defense as a quality unit. And you look down the down the line, they gave up 4.83 yards per play against Clemson. I mean, you think about that. Clemson offensively averaged 5.43 yards against Florida State and then 4.83 yards against Wake Forest a couple weeks later. So, this is a quality team. This is a quality a quality defense for and it really is a defense that so far this year has been built on play after play, generally a pretty decent success rate. They're 44th in the country in defensive success rate. So that said, they, this is a defense, you know, you, you might hear some folks talk about, you know, historically Wake Forest has been a team that has in recent years not given up a bunch of big plays. But if you look at this year defensively, they are. Let's see. They are eighth in the in the conference in twenty plus yard plays given up. They're twenty. They're what? Let's see. They're last in the conference in thirty plus yard plays given up. It's the defense that has given up some big plays on the season. Ninth in the conference in 
40 plus yard plays given up. They're toward the bottom in all of these big play measures. But when it comes to 10 plus yards, they're they're toward the middle of the conference. So essentially, you can get bigger chunks against them, but you're you're not going to get as many small smaller gains, smaller chunk plays. It's they're a little bit more of a boom and bust defense so far this year. And when you look at that against the teams that they've played, well, I mean, they haven't played any teams so far this year with a whole lot of, of playmakers. The one that they've played that has the most playmakers, actually, in terms of speed, big playability, that sort of thing, is Georgia Tech. I mean, you look at Vanderbilt, really no playmakers on that team. Georgia Tech with Leary and a few others and and uh, and Haynes King at quarterback. They've been a, a boom-bust offense with a lot of big plays. And they they managed to score 30. They won that game against against Wake. Clemson has struggled all season to produce big plays. Virginia Tech, Florida State has already played them, got a good sense of what they are. And then Pitt is a team that, you know, they've had a few big plays, but not not a bunch. So this has not been a team that's played a bunch of teams that have had a bunch of playmakers, but they've still given up well over the average in terms of chunk plays. And I think that's really where this this game ends up being decided. So essentially to date, Wake Forest has been able to to handle most of the teams that they've played up front pretty well. And again, this is a game where I just don't know that they're going to be able to hold up, especially over the course of the game, as well as they have against some of the teams that they've that they've played. And and I think I think early in the early going, seeing Florida State with a with a few drives sort of fizzle out where if they're not able to get a, a couple big chunk plays, seeing a few drives fizzle out, Wake Forest be able to get a, a a tackle for loss or that sort of thing here and there would not be that surprising. But I just, I think this is a team that's depended on being able to get in the backfield some, being able to uh, to limit teams in the run game. They're giving up 3.9 yards per per rush. It's a team that's depended on being able to do that and then not having to really worry about some some of the teams that they played beating them down the field with a bunch of uh, a bunch of playmakers. So I think this is a game where Keon Coleman could go off, even though, again, Wake Forest has got a quality corner. I mean, that's a that's one where there's going to be some folks who are going to be really interested in watching that Kalen Carson Keon Coleman matchup. But if Wake Forest is smart, they're not going to leave him on an island a bunch with Keon Coleman. But I, I think this is a game where you, you probably see Jordan Travis and some of those wide receivers have a pretty good day. Now, I do think FSU, from what I understand, they're going to be down. They're not going to have a, their, their full roster of wide receivers here. I mean, I'd be surprised if Johnny Wilson played after the last couple of weeks. They don't really need him in this game. I think if I'm Florida State, I'd really consider holding him out until the, the week of pre- uh, preparing for Miami. Uh I, I don't expect to see Destin Hill. I don't expect to see uh, Hakeem Williams. So some of the other guys who've not had as much of a chance to to have their names called this year, despite being uh, being good players in their own right, guys like Poitier and Darian Williamson and all that, this is their opportunity. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some big plays from from a couple of those guys in this game against this defense, given the way that they've given up some big plays. So I think... This is one where it may it may take a little bit of time to cook. It may take a little bit of time for Florida State's offense to click because of how 
Wake Forest has been good at at cre- at getting penetration, getting some tackles for loss, getting offenses off schedule. That's been their mo. I think that may may well happen to FSU some early, but I think ultimately you're going to see too many chunk plays, too many big plays over the course of the game, and Wake Forest is going to get worn down, especially with their offense not being able to do a whole lot. And then this this game just sort of becomes one of those crockpot games where you you know you look up and by the end of the third quarter, FSU's up something like 38 to 10, you know, or, or something along those lines. That's sort of what I expect here. I, I think that Wake defense is good enough to keep them potentially in it with a few with a few of those stops, but not good enough to hold back too many of the chunk plays. You're going to see some of those chunk plays come in, both in the run and the pass, and then go from there. But this is a game where FSU needs to get... they If they handle this right, this is a game where there's a lot of guys that are banged up. On, especially on the Florida State offense right now. And this is an opportunity, if you take care of business, to give some guys some rest and to try to get some of those other guys who are key complementary pieces some opportunities to, to prove that they're ready to contribute down the stretch. And there's a reason that so many upsets in college football start to happen in you know mid-October late October, early, early November, that that's sort of your upset window for college football, because that's the time of year when teams start to get banged up and guys that they've been able to depend on some of the difference makers, even if they're playing guys are banged up by this point in the year. And, you know, the grind of the season has started to, to affect things. That's when you expect those upsets. This is where Florida state's overall depth that they went and they reached into the transfer portal to get becomes a really big factor. And I think that's that's ultimately going to be one of the key differences in this game. And I think they're going to be in position to uh, to take that and um, and and go with it. Now, before I get to the predictions portion, I do think this is a question uh, from Colby over on Patreon that uh, I, I thought would be worth addressing before before we go. And that is, I've heard officiating brought up after the Pitt and Wake game about how Wake Forest seems to benefit in the ACC. I looked into the numbers this year, and they're pretty stark. Do you think there's substance to this? In ACC play, Wake Forest has 14 uh, 14 penalties. ACC opponents have 41. So it's almost a 4-to-1 to difference. In out-of-conference play, Wake Forest has 13 penalties and opponents 14. So that does really seem to be a bit damning there. But here's a couple things to think about. One is Wake's first three games were out were non-conference. So if you're going to have sort of areas where you're, you're likely to be a little bit, a little bit less clean, it's probably going to be in those. So potential that they've cleaned some things up in that respect. The other thing though, is I do think there's some virtue or some truth to the fact that over the years, and, and we've talked about this, it's probably been a couple of years since we talked about this on this show, but we've talked about this over the years, about how my impression has always been that, that ACC officiating has sort of favored the less talented teams. So the whoever appears to be the aggressor tends to get penalized more heavily in ACC games. That, by the way, is reversed usually in, S- in SEC competition. The best teams in the SEC tend to get the benefit of the doubt, whereas in the ACC, the best teams there's it's almost like uh, in you know old NCAA football or it, I don't know if it's still true in Madden. There used to be this phenomenon where if you'd get up on the quarterback, all of a sudden it was like there'd be a 
uh, algorithmic switch that would happen where suddenly the game would get harder and the computer would be able to do stuff that it couldn't do before. Like you'd throw it and all of a sudden a defensive lineman would just jump up and catch the football right out of your quarterback's hands and take off for, for a score. I used to be able to almost predict when that would happen back in like, it would probably have been 99 or 2001 level uh, NCAA football where it's like, okay, I just scored to go up this many points. If I throw the football on this drive, I can pretty much guarantee that a, that a, a defensive lineman's going to catch it out of my quarterback's hands and take it all, take it all for a score because it's just the game essentially giving the, giving the, the computer a cheat to be able to, uh, to, to make it more competitive. It's like a governor that was put on so that, you know, you can only, you can only have so much of a, of an advantage. So the team that was behind would get better. I think ACC officiating's kind of been like that from the start. So the teams that are more aggressive that play that have that look just more athletic and are moving faster are on the attack more. I think those teams tend to get, tend to draw more penalties in the ACC. You'd expect, for example, more a team that has less athletic lines to draw more holding penalties. But my impression has been that in the ACC, you kind of almost see the opposite where when you see an offensive lineman dominate the defensive lineman and, you know, bury him on the ground, that's going to be the thing that's going to draw the flag rather than vice versa. So Wake Forest sort of sits in the sweet spot for that. It's a team that is never really as athletic in general as some of the the top tier of the conference. They do play a, a disciplined brand of football where they're, they're usually really trying to play clean uh, without as without penalties. So there is an aspect of that. That's, you know, just legitimately true. But I think all of that combines to be a team where they kind of sit in the sweet spot for benefiting from the way that ACC football tends to be officiated. So, yeah, then you combine that with the teams that they've played, penalized team in the conference, and that's who they played last week, and there's something to it. But Wake is averaging a a little over a full penalty fewer per game than anybody else in the conference. And I haven't sorted that out to you know, what kind of penalties, but my, if you're only getting 3.9 penalties per game, you're not getting a whole lot of pre-snap infractions, that sort of thing. So it's a combination of playing real clean in the pre-snap. You're not jumping off sides. You're not false starting. You're not getting uh illegal formation, that sort of thing. You're, you're doing a lot of those things well, but the other thing is they're just not getting called for uh personal foul calls for a variety of those post-snap penalties either because of aggression, partly because they're just not a team that has that, that plays with that kind of edge. So I think there's a, there's a, an aspect of this that does lean in a little bit to some of the judgment calls in terms of holding and all of that, where a team that plays real clean pre-snap and post-snap is going to get the benefit of the doubt from ACC officials, you know, between the snaps and I think the more athletic teams get a little bit of a penalty from ACC, the way that ACC officials have tended to to do things and enforce things over the years. And so, yeah, I think there's probably something to it, but it's not something I worry about too much because I don't think this is one of those things that just outright favors Wake Forest where, you know, the ACC has some sort of conspiracy to make sure that they win more games against, you know, teams that are better than them or whatever. I don't think it's that. But I do think there's there's something to them kind of sitting in the sweet spot for how the conference is officiated. And and that is something you kind of have to have to deal with. All right. That's going to get us to our predictions and uh, 
you know, final evaluation summary of this. I really do think this is, even though this is a, a banged up Florida State team coming into this game, this is a, a an FSU team where in the backfield, on the line of scrimmage and out wide, everybody's banged up on the offense right now. And they need to get some, uh, get some of those guys some snaps off. And I think you're going to see more running backs play in this game. I think you're going to see a wider variety of wide receivers than we've seen all season. Some guys that, you know, we haven't, it's like, oh, wow, he's, he's still out there. Wow. Great. He's got three catches. I, I, you know, I wasn't sure he was going to be, uh, going to be featured much this year. I think there's going to be some of that, but I think that this is a team that, that Florida state will be able to win comfortably against this year, simply because I'm just not sure where they're going to get a lot of their points. Wake Forest is going to need to score over 30 to beat Florida State. And I'm not sure that Wake Forest offense, as it's constructed with the personnel that they have, can do that against this Florida State defense. All told, I think might be a little bit of a frustrating game in the first half. Might be a little bit of uh, of a game where you'd, you'd like FSU to run and hide a little faster. But again, remember, they're pretty banged up on the offensive side. I think this ends up being sort of a crockpot game where by the you know, mid to late third quarter, it's out, it's out of hand. And you start to see more of the backups on the offensive side in the game in the fourth quarter. I'm going to go with Florida state winning this game 38 to 10, it's probably something like 28 to 28 to 10 or something like that in the, uh, you know, mid third quarter, get a score to, you know, put it out of, out of reach there, uh, late in the third quarter. And then, and then, uh, start to, get other guys on the field. But this is completely a game where with the right couple big plays early and all of that could wind up being a a bigger blowout than that. I just don't see Wake Forest scoring enough. I think FSU winds up with, you know, seven plus yards per play. Wake Forest maybe around, you know, 4.0, 4.1 yards per play, which usually translates to a, you know, three touchdown, four touchdown type uh, win. And I think that's where this is going to wind up. That'll do it for us here now. I will talk to you all after the game on Saturday. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate, in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>